Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues that we are dealing with on a daily basis. And I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson. And we're coming up on the last few episodes that we're going to do on Race in America. And today I have a couple that has agreed to talk about what it's like to be an interracial couple in America these days. And so with me, I have Trey and Susan. And so if you guys could just say hello to the audience for us. Hello. Good evening. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest today. And so, Trey, I'll have you start. Just tell us a little bit about your background um, and anything else you want the audience to know. Uh, born and raised here in Tampa, Florida. Um, both my parents were teachers. Grew up in a you know a great home. Um, went to Jefferson High School. Went to college. I'm a firefighter now. Um, and that's just about it. Thank you very much. And Susan, a little bit about your background. Hi there. Um, I am a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force. Um, I was born on Clark Air Force Base in Manila, Philippines. And from there, um, my mother and my father, we um, then went to Hawaii and then came stateside back in 1985. So um, that's basically the start. And of course, I then, you know, traveled to Virginia. Then we came to Florida where I met my husband in high school there at Jefferson. Go Dragons. I'm a dragon also. So it's just a wonderful day. Jefferson High School in the house. So um, thank you so much for that information. And so now if you could talk a little bit about um, how the two of you met. I guess I'll go because I'm the one that initiated the... uh relationship being very persistent uh we met in spanish class my sophomore year uh at jefferson and uh she sat behind me and i would you know just bothered her every day i kind of wore her down pretty much is what happened and then she agreed to talk to me she gave me her phone number and then it just uh went from there and Susan, is that how you remember it? He wore you down? Pretty much. I actually didn't like him at first. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> I thought he was your typical jock. And um, he, you know, I was pretty serious in school. And, you know, he clowned around a lot, you know, and I just, I had my feelings. And uh, once I got to know him, you know, we became friends and, you know, kind of went from there. So, um, I guess I forgot to tell you that I'm a, uh, ex-athlete also that, you know, I, I played football and baseball, but I was also in the band too. So I was a band geek also. And I was involved in all the, you know, academics and, um, service clubs. I did cheer for a year and then decided not to pursue that there too much drama. So, <laughs> <laughs> Too much drama. Girl, I remember the days with the cheer squad. That thing was real. When people didn't make the squad, it was it it was it was serious business. Uh, so I can imagine. Yeah, it was worse when we started dating. So <laughs> Ah now I get it. Mm-hmm. So Trey, at any time you're African American and Susan, you are white and Filipino. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Trey, did that ever was was she the first a person you dated who was not African-American, did you ever, was that ever an issue for you? Did you worry about what people would think about that? No, not really. You know, um, you know, I, I was raised to love everybody. You know, my parent, my dad was a military brat. Um, so he was, how, how do I say it? He was uh, in non-segregated classes before it even came to the south when he was in the military so he was in classes with all kinds of people and it was a shock for him you know when he came stateside from germany to see that the classrooms were segregated so my you know my grandfather didn't raise them um to really see color but he did not let them forget that they were black also 
Got it. And and Susan, how about you? Was it ever a concern for you? It was. Um, and it's funny because, you know, my mother being Filipino and my dad, you know, marrying. Um, and with my dad being from the South, he's from South Georgia. And so when he brought my mo- mother back, I mean, I even caught wind of how it was more so just by, you know, some friends and um, people that weren't really used to that or being around that. And growing up in the military, when we lived on base, um, it was very much common. Um, but once we became civilians and I started going, you know, I, I was no, I no longer had the comfort of being around, you know, the, the military folks that I grew up around. And so, you know, I, you would hear comments like, oh, your mother's a war bride or, you know, whatever it might be. But for my daddy's family, um, there was some concern there and, you know, they were very respectful of my father because of my mother. And a lot of them, I would say that I, in a way I prejudged my family because as you know, time went on and who I thought would be more so to kind of condemn our relationship actually became the ones that stood up for our relationship and um, and loved us through it, loved us through all the hard times. And so in a way, you know, I, I hear of all these stories and I, I, you know, we're not naive to the fact that we are so fortunate that we have family that stand be- behind us, you know? So when I hear, you know, people who are in these relationships and let's just say their um, Caucasian side of the family isn't accepting, you know, I couldn't imagine being disowned disowned because of that, you know, because, you know, even though at at one point I thought, you know, maybe that could happen. We just don't know. And, um, but that didn't happen for us. And so I feel that if more people were aware and, and knew that it's not like that for everyone. And, um, and for us, you know, especially as accepting and as loving as they are to my husband, who doesn't really experience that with my family. Um, you know, again, we're not naive to it. We know it happens and it's sad that it does happen for them, but we're just extremely fortunate. And can you ever, can either of you think of a time where um, you did have people who made comments that were inappropriate or you got the strange looks or a time where it was really difficult uh, just based on the fact that you were an interracial couple. Is there any time or an incident that stands out for either of you? We, I think when we kind of got together, you know, uh, where we went to school was very diverse. So it was at the tail end of it being not a, a, being the well the front of it being accepted so it wasn't too bad in school i mean you would have you know the like the african-american girl they'd be like oh he was a white girl and i'm like well you know I, I like who like me so i mean and you you know you see it people looking at you especially you know in the south as far as and i don't consider florida the south it's a weird it's a weird thing or certain parts of Florida, like Tampa's super diverse, uh, Miami super diverse, but you you see those little pockets of Florida and and in South like Alabama and Georgia. If we were to go somewhere, of course you're going to get those looks. And initially, we did even locally. It would almost be the ongoing joke between us as that watch they're going to sit us in the back of the rest- restaurant, and it happened almost every time. And so it, it's just interesting how we were able to kind of, you know, just know when we were being looked at a certain way. Um, we, we weren't oblivious to it by, you know, any means. And how, how did it make you feel? And, and why do you think that that having an interracial relationship, you know, obviously there are so many things in 2020 that it's amazing that we're still having these conversations. Mm-hmm. But what is it about you know, two people loving one another who are from different races, that seems to be an issue for for a lot, even now in society in 2020. I think it's the people that were raised like that. You know, it's the people that the parents didn't accept them, their parents didn't accept it. So therefore, you know, it's just passed on through the generations. 
you're just automatically judged, you know, and for me, um, even, um, you know, those who are Caucasian for me, they didn't really, they would kind of look at me and not really know what I was, you know, so it wasn't like I was always accepted as white. Um, and of course I'm not black. So it put me in a, in a very, um, sometimes in an uncomfortable space. And so, but we were, you know, we were judged and, you know, it wasn't until they like got to know Trey that they're like, you know, oh, well, and it's, it's a shame that it's this way. Oh, he's an educated black man, you know, and he speaks very eloquently and it shouldn't be that way. You know, you should just basically respect the person. Right. Just by seeing me, you know, you don't know that both my parents were educators uh, and, you know, my I come from a family of educators. I couldn't do that job right now, but tell me about it. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's tough to be an educator right now. But they they were uh, we had a family of educators, but and you know we have state representatives, we have city council. But you wouldn't know that just by looking at me. You don't. Right. You wouldn't know my background. And for me, it was the black girls that would say, "Oh." you know, because he did, you know, he does work hard and he does do what he needs to do to provide for us. It's like, oh, you got one of our, our good ones, you know? And, but it's like, you don't know what we had to go through to get to where we are. You know, we had our own struggles we had, you know, we had to grow up. Yeah. We had a baby young. Mm-hmm. And so really young to the point where so how young is really young <laughs> <laughs> two weeks before my 18th birthday. Yep. I was 19 when he, when our son was born. He's a year ahead of me. So he was already in college. I was already gone. And it was my senior year of high school. And it's interesting. I'm going to get to your babies in a minute, but it's interesting that you mentioned how people would say to you, um, oh, well, he's an educated black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how does, how did that make you feel? Because I, I've, you know, I've talked to several people and I've had the experience myself. My listeners have heard me talk about it. I've, you know, spoken for events or things or meetings at work. And I've had people say, wow, she's really articulate. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they think they're being complimentary and they don't understand when you go, really? Like, I, I don't know what about that. I'm, I, I can't say thank you to that, right. but where do you, you know, how, how did that make you feel when you heard that? And let's say he didn't have the background that he does have. Do you think that it would have been harder for you to get some of that acceptance because then perhaps he would have been more of the stereotype, I guess? Absolutely. And I think the fact that because he is a fireman and, you know, he is a servant of, um, you know, our society that, that also, it does come into play. I'll be honest with you. Um, I work in corporate America and, you know, corporate America is very judgy. And so, you know, like if we go to events or whatever it may be, you know, sometimes, you know, for instance, like my maiden name was Susan Allen and now it's Susan Nelson. So, you know, I will tell you that like when I walk into a room, typically they're expecting a white woman, you know, that's not mixed, you know, and then of course, you know, here I am and then I have my husband And so it's like, you know, they see us and sometimes they judge. They don't think that, you know, almost like you almost feel like you're not deserving of all everything that you've accomplished, you know, and that you have to work so much harder to almost prove that you're beyond that stereotype. You know, we're not the typical. um, Well, for me, too, the fact that I was pregnant in high school and then, you know, of course, by a black man. So right there, that is a stereotype, you know, so there's so much that we did have to overcome and, you know, and it was, um, I'm pretty outspoken, um, to say the least. I will say so. And so when I did feel offended or if somebody offended my husband or my family, I was, I have no problem speaking it. And, um, and sometimes, you know, it could be brutally honest. So, you know, just, it's almost one of those things, you know, just be careful because I'm that type of mama, I'm that type of wife that I'm going to protect, you know, my family and, and that's, that's even, you know, their reputation, you know, and who they are because it's all about respect. You know, I respect my husband, he respects me and, you know, that's what it comes down to. 
I don't blame you, girl. I'm one of those mamas too. I've had people say, you're, you're one of those moms. You can call it whatever you like, <laughs> but why? Yes, I am. <laughs> so I understand exactly what you're talking about. You will not come from my husband. You will not come from my babies. I'm so sorry. So I completely understand how you feel about that. And especially when people are making assumptions uh, just because of, of race. And it's like, oh, and, and I know that you've probably, I've heard black women say it before. It's like, don't. She got one of the good ones, <laughs> which I'm sure doesn't, you know, it's like, what are you supposed to say to that? Um, I guess it's kind of like you said earlier, Trey, you love who you love. You love the person that loves you. Right. Um, and, you know, race isn't necessarily the factor that's going to play into that. Uh, so I can definitely understand um, what you're talking about with that. Uh, and so just want to talk a little bit about the kids. So how many children do you have? We have two, a boy and a girl. And how old are they? 22 and 13. 20. You waited a minute. 22 and 13. Yeah. <laughs> I was so, done with the 22 year old, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were both, uh, you know, not planned, of course. <laughs> gotcha. But you're so glad they're both here, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what that has been like and what they've experienced um, growing up in a home with interracial parents. Have they ever had to deal with comments and statements? I'll, I'll tell you just a little bit of our background and what we've had to deal with here. So uh, while I do not have uh, children of, of mixed race necessarily, both of my children are adopted. And so, um, you know, that is something that is still kind of taboo in African-American households. And so some of the comments and things we've had to endure were more around dealing with that. Uh, and so did you all have to deal with things around the fact that they uh, were interracial children and that their parent, it was an interracial relationship. What kind of comments have they had to endure? What have you all had to tell them? Very much so. I would say, um, I would say it was more to like, most recent cases would be with my daughter. Um, when she started kindergarten, you know, mind you, before that, she, um, we were just in a place where we didn't have to have her in um, preschool or anything like that. She stayed with my parents or his parents. So she was very, very excited to go to kindergarten and be around other kids. Um, we are out here in Waimama. And here in Waimama, if you know anything about where we live, um, it's primarily... Um, you know, my, you know, migrant workers, um, Mexicans, um, and Caucasian families. And so we're in the country. And so we come out here and my kids, what I would say first and foremost is because my children were raised around all cultures, you know, they're, you know, of course my husband's family's black, you know, my mother who's Filipino, my dad's, um, you know, family who's Caucasian. Um, when they see our family, you know, they think, and they're safe, you know, so they haven't been in a place where, you know, people have talked to them a certain way, you know, cause they were always accepted. So that alone made it to where it was almost a disservice to them because they didn't understand that the world is not like that. And so when she went to kindergarten she was bullied and, um, she has, you know, my daughter has curly ringlet hair. I mean, beautiful hair, you know, and of course she has like the caramel, um, complexion and, um, she's just, you know, and not to be biased, but you know, she's, she was always a very beautiful child. And so she at school, you know, she would come home and it started off with mommy, can you straighten my hair? You know, I want you to straighten my hair. Or, um, mommy, I want to be lighter, you know, I want, you know, it's like, I'm dark, I don't want to be dark, you know, I want to be, you know, and she would get to the point where she'd even say, I want to be white, you know, and so even um, my family and my dad, you know, because it killed him to hear, you know, his own granddaughter say something like that. And, you know, we would say, no, you're beautiful, just the way you are you know, why would you say that? And then it, then the bullying came where, you know, she was, she's always had a thing for being a little fashionista. She loved new clothes. She loved accessories and she would come home and there would be writing on her leggings or she would have a new cardigan and it would have, 
you know, catch up on it and come to find out um, there was a, you know, a Caucasian girl that had it out for my daughter and the girls and see, you know, with Alana, she, um, the teachers would always talk about how beautiful her hair was. And so it was almost like this jealousy to where, and the, the teacher actually called it out. She's like, she's very jealous of your daughter. And it wasn't even to, it wasn't only the fact that my daughter, you know, had curly hair and, you know, was mixed, but it was also an economic thing, you know, because a lot of the children in her class didn't come to, you know, where my daughter and, you know, my husband and I do well. And so it was one of those things that too, she would see my daughter come to school with, you know, nice clothing and, you know, that sort of thing. So when we tried to put this to bed and we went to the school um, and the, we met the parents, it was very telling. You could see their response to us. You could see the way that they were looking at us. And, um, and at that point I knew like, okay, they're already judging us, you know, they're already, you know, looking at my daughter, you know, because she's African-American and, um, and basically they weren't going to do nothing to their daughter. They were okay with the way she was, they were treating, she was treating my daughter to the point where the school had to intervene and then allow my daughter to make sure that she wasn't in the same class as this little girl and the following year. And the year after that. And the year after that, yes. Because I told him I was going to flip over all the tables <laughs> if it continued. <laughs> and it was, and that was very, it was very difficult because, you know, again, we, you know, we don't want to show ourselves and know that. Like, I don't want to okay. be a stereotype as a parent <laughs> coming in. Oh, there. Yep. Cause it, it, I know that. I know that feeling. Yeah, because it almost came out. And we're very active in the school, so they knew us. They knew us well. You know, we we did a lot at that school, especially for the other children. And so the school, you know, um, we had a really good, you know, rapport with the front office. So when this was happening to Alana, um, the fact that they even tried to step in before they had to involve us to the point where they were like, okay, we, we need to tell you what's really going on. So, um, so that was with her. And that was very hurtful. How did it make, you know, how did it make you feel to hear her say, um, and we did a series on it where we talked about colorism, because not only, you know, bless her heart, do you, is is it going to be difficult with uh, some white children, even though there are going to be African-American children? I mean, this colorism thing is deep, even in our own cultures. And so we get into the light versus dark debate. So, you know, that could even be something that she's going to have to deal with as well. So how did it make you feel to hear her say, you know, I, I want to be white or can you straighten my hair? Um, what was it like as a mom trying, a mom and a dad trying to really bolster her confidence and letting her know at such a young age that the way you are is, is, is just fine. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. See, our daughter, she's, uh, when she was, because we, we didn't raise them like, you know, to look at color really like that, but we let them know at the same time. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, you know, she was, you know, she was just a fun child and she look at color and she'll see something. And she's like, that's brown. I'm brown. She never said black. She never said black. She's yes. like, I'm brown. So that's how right. she identified or tan. When she, or or tan. Yeah. yeah. When she was little, when she was really little, but she knows now. But when she was like really little, she had identified herself as brown. But it did hurt her self-confidence. Um in fact, it took a couple of years when she went into first grade, even her teacher told us because um, we had to have a sit down. And she says, when Alana walked in the classroom, they had the option of sitting by who they wanted to. And she chose a table that only had boys. And um, the teacher said to me, you know, she goes, you know, after having the conversation with you all, we understood and it was her way of, like, in a way, protecting herself, I guess, because she knew of the cattiness. She knew, I think it was, like, less abrasive for her. Um, and then the only other child that she would sit with was a little girl who didn't speak English very well. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And so, <laughs> but the teacher had to separate them because it was actually hurting my daughter's progress. 
And she was like, as much as I wanted to keep them together, your daughter, it was like my daughter thought she spoke Spanish too and wasn't able to go any further <laughs> than what the other little girl was at. Like, we're in this together. So, <laughs> so it was hard because we had to, um, we still, you know, when you start off, I think with self-confidence issues early on, um, it kind of resurfaces here and there. And um, like right now, she, in fact, yesterday told me she wants green eyes. Our, so, <laughs> that's because our son, our son has, green, has eyes. green eyes. But she, but she's always wanted different, like before it was blue. So, um, so I mean, little things, you know, resurface, but, you know, we take the time um, to let her know how beautiful she is, um, how loved she is and how, you know, there's so many people, of course, you know, you have to go along the line that wish that they had your complexion or they wish that they had your hair, you know, that sort of thing. So. And that is definitely true. And it is amazing. You know, when you talked about when she was little, little children do not, you know, when you tell a child two or three, I'm black, they're looking at you like you're nuts because in their minds, the color black, you know, I'm brown or I'm tan or so it's really uh, amazing just how innocent they are until somebody who, um, you know, either there's that jealousy or the way they were raised, you know, bring this, this really harsh, cold reality that they it's hard for them to fathom. They don't understand it. Um, and so I was going to ask that if she still suffers a little bit from that, because that has to be really hard um, to have had it at such a young age. Um, and I could see why she'd want to sit with the table full of boys. I don't blame her because it's like, you know, at that point, she's probably thinking girls are just way too much work, yeah. <laughs> you know, That's so true. this is a lot easier. I'm just going to sit over here. So I don't blame her for that. Um, and is it hard to get her to open up about it or does she ever talk about that experience anymore now that she's a little older? You know, we talk about it only because I know that she still has, um, sometimes, you know, things will come up. Um, but what helped her, I think was third grade. She met a girl named Kimberly and Kimberly is also mixed. And she was so excited to have another little girl in her class that had parents that didn't match. That's what she said. She was like, because I asked her, I said, Alana, I was like, okay, well, who's Kimberly? You know, where are her parents? She's like, mom, um, her parents don't match like you and dad. (laughs) And so that for her, that was like a comfort. And, um, you know, and I think that also culturally it helped her because her, her music, you know, before she didn't want to hear any of the music her dad liked, you know, she was still in that, you know, little princess music, teen, you know, the little, um, I guess, teen bop type music, but then. Yeah, kind of like Disney. Yes, Yes. everything. And, um, but with Kimberly, I think it showed her, and I think it's important too, and, you know, that she is around other children, you know, of color, because it's also something where they learn from each other. They, they're more accepting of, you know, the culture. And that's something that sometimes can't be taught. So. Yeah, Kimberly's parents were, her dad was black and her mom was Puerto Rican. So her and Alana looked very similar. So I'm sure that was very helpful to her, um, you know, just to see somebody else. It's like, oh, somebody else who's actually experiencing that or can relate. Um, I think it's so cute for her to say that you guys didn't match. Right. <laughs> because, again, they're so young. That's how they see it. You know, exactly. they, it just it's just simple to them. Um, and so how about your son? What has it been like for him? And especially in the times that we are living in now, do you worry a lot about him? He's a young adult. Uh, what was it like for him growing up as well? Um, you know, I just, as a dad raising a son, you just try to, you know, do the best you can and just let him know, say, look, you know, when he was younger, I'm like, look, you're, you're black. You know, you may, you may be light skinned, but you're black. Society sees you as a black male. I mean, you may have green eyes, but they know you're not white. So, you know, I just, I just pretty much hammered that into him, you know, as he was coming up. So he'll just know, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a hard thing to deal with, you know, when you're coming up and you don't, you don't even know who you are yet. Well, what scared me was the fact that when we moved out of Tampa, 
and we came out here, especially when he hit high school. Um, I explained to him, you know, and I, I used to have these conversations with Trey is, you know, he's going to, he's, he was dating some white girls. And for me, I was scared because it's still real country. And with that, in this area, you still have some folks that aren't accepting and they're going to see him as a black, you know, my black child, my black son, and, and not accept that. And I felt like at times, you know, sometimes I think, you know, it, it could have been dangerous, you know, for him. And, um, and he was in some situations that, you know, I would say like in middle school, I felt like even out here, the school didn't handle it properly. And they, you know, he got in a fight at school and, you know, and here he is, he got in a fight. He was on crutches. Um, he was going through a growth spurt. So, um, our son's very strong. He plays, um, he was playing baseball and football and, um, and he's played since he was like six. And so, um, here he is in middle school and we get a phone call that our son is being arrested for getting in a fight at school. And thank God I was off that day. So, so I'm dry. I drove up there. Well, I drove up. You there. did. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I drove up there and, uh, it, it was a white kid and apparently I don't know what happened. He was egging him on and he, I guess Anthony had enough and it had been going on for a couple of days. Yeah. So, and I, and he was in cuffs and that's hard to see as a, as a parent to see your kid in handcuffs going to the Jack Center over a fight. Right. And, you know, and here it was. Did they say why? Did, did they say why he needed to be arrested for a fight at school? So what they said, and, you know, because, of course, you know, we're calling everyone because we're so upset. And Anthony had no prior, no nothing. You know what I mean? He was even in the AVID program. And so, um, and what they said was it took two administrators to pull him off of the other kid. And, um, and you have to know, like our son plays football, he's going to tackle the kid to the, the yeah. ground and try to, you know. And I told him, I said, if you, if he started it, you supposed to be, whoop him until you get tired. That was my that's advice. Old, you know, that's the old school <laughs> advice. And yeah. <laughs> So, and our, and again, he was, you know, here he was, and I thought that maybe somehow his crutch was used as a weapon or something like that. And that wasn't the case. And so um, they took him down and, you know, we actually had to go through where my son was in anger management classes. Okay. He was in the eighth grade. We had a, um, a, pro, a probation a, officer. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. So when, you know, for like six months where my son, when he started playing, you know, sports again, um, when we got home, he had to call the probation officer and let the probation officer know, you know, when he was home, if it was going to be later, she had to come to our house and assess us as parents. I mean, you talk about the most humiliating thing and, you're, and then not only that, they kicked him out of the AVID program. And I go, so you just set my son up for failure. You've arrested him and you're saying that, okay, the only thing that we can, as long as we go through this program, this will be a sponge off his record. Okay. And not only that, but it's like you've taken him out of a program that's, you know, that he earned, that he works hard for because he excels in school. So here you've taken two things away from him to even to the point where the avid teacher, she was able to get it to where he was able to still be an avid um, in high school. And she told us, don't worry. You know, even she, you know, I would say most administrators and the teachers were behind Anthony. And so at that point, they basically told us we're going to do all we can, you know, but, and she even tried to fight it, but that principal at the time wouldn't let it go. And so, and mind you, the principal at the time wasn't there very long after that. So, and I made a phone call because I know somebody that was over that area. Um, and I was like, what's going on? They said they've been having issues with the principal and she's probably going to get moved. 
Um, so, I mean, it was just a big mess at the time. The school was in disarray. But, you know, and it, it you can't help but think, had my son been white, would this have happened? You know? Well, not only that, I think that it's interesting to note that there was never any discussion about the fact that, you know, it's okay for another student, um, you know, and, and, and I always try to teach my kids that you run your mouth if you want to. Mm-hmm. And it could get yourself into some trouble. You know, it's okay for you to egg on, bully, what have you. And then when I retaliate, I'm the one in handcuffs. You know, I'm the one whose life you're trying to destroy over over a fight. And it's okay, you know, you get to walk away right. scot-free, essentially. Because the kid didn't um, have that much to lose. You know, Anthony had everything to lose. And he's been in trouble before, several times at the school. So they knew this other kid had these issues, um, but yet, you know, our son didn't. And so that's where it was, you know, and again, you're treating, you're treating these kids like criminals, you know, from the eighth grade on, you know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, how, how is it that you expect them to trust the system, you know? Absolutely. And and how do you think that impacted him uh, for the rest of his school career and just going forward? What, you know, how do you think that experience stayed with him or did it change him in any way? Oh, he became, um, it makes you angry. And when you, when you think that you're a bad child and you think that, you know, um, you know, it's almost like trying to build up your reputation again, but when you're that young, kids don't understand that. You know, automatically they're thinking, okay, now I'm back to school. Everybody thinks I'm a punk. You know, the teachers don't think that I'm a good kid anymore. You know, so it's, you know, and of course, how he probably thought we perceived them, which, you know, we worked very hard to let him know that, you know, nothing changes how we love you, you know. Um, But they were, we had to use those lessons and we used it in a way of, you know, which I told him is, you know, we have to be tough on you and we have to, of course, we had to punish, um, punish him for his role in the fight, you know, so we couldn't let that go. But, you know, of course he saw that we were fighting for him, for his education. You know, we were fighting for him on the fact that, okay, yes, you did this wrong, but that doesn't, you know, change these other factors and the fact that you're still a good kid. All right. We're going to get you through the program. I mean, it's punishment on the parents too, because we have to drive them to this program every week he had to do iss um at actually it was off-site it was off-site i had to take him every day to out of school suspension for two weeks and you know it's a it's a burden on us too but i and how long did he have to meet with the parole officer like how long did all of that go it was like six months yeah it was a while like yeah i don't remember how maybe actually maybe six to eight months yeah it was a long time for us, it was. Yeah. I don't know. Anything longer than a month is long. <laughs> and, and how did you, and I know you talked about it a little bit, but, you know, just it assessing you as a parent, like, were there, other than calling the parole officer, what else did you have to do? Because I know that's like pouring salt on a wound. You know, it's like every week or every month or whatever, for weeks on end, I got to call you and let you know where I am and you're going to, you know, pay attention. Were there restrictions on where he could go or what he could do? Or did he just have to check in with this person? It was basically, he was restricted. If he did go to my, um, if he did go to my parents' house, I had to let them know where my parents lived. Um, You know, we had to let him, let them basically know the vicinity and where it was that he would be. And if he stayed the night, we basically had to let them know that that's where he was and where he would be that night. And he still had to call. I mean, he had to call every single night. And, um, and you know, to me, again, he's a child. He's not a criminal, you know, and he's in the eighth grade. Where is he going to go? So it's just it was it was a little much, you know, and um, for us to, you know, to have to build up his, you know, self-esteem from that, too you know, because that's a very tender age, you know, and it's, you know, and of course, you know, their emotions and their hormones are going crazy as it is. So. That's absolutely fascinating to me. I I mean, just (laughs) listening to think that is, and and I know, you know, uh, you know, I have the same issue. I have two children, a boy and a girl. 
Um, and, and just really, you know, kind of feeling like you did, Susan, it's like if my child had not been Black, would we be having this conversation? Would this be, you know, would, would this be going the same way? Um, and I do think sometimes it's amazing that people don't see that difference in how they're treating Black children, especially Black boys. And that's why I was wondering what his experience had been like in school. Um, because I do think there's almost an assault to some degree, you know, on the way they're treated or the way that they are perceived if they get into a fight or an argument versus uh, when it happens to a white child, especially a white male. Um, and so did they expunge that from his record? Has it ever caused him a problem going forward as he's gotten did. Older? I was actually worried about the military. The military can find out everything. <laughs> so I was actually worried a little bit about that, you know, but we were, you know, again, we, we were just kind of preying on the fact that he was so young. Um, but, you know, it was interesting when the per- um, when the patrol officer came to our house for the first time, she commented on how nice our house was. And she was like, oh, she goes, um, you know, when it said why mama, I thought you guys lived, you know, and we knew exactly where she, you know, she thought we lived <laughs> because we know what, you know, because we're kind of like on the cusp between, you know, really it's, we're pretty much Riverview, Ruskin. Um so, you know, it's funny that it was almost like, again, it was just another one of those things where she was, it was being judgmental, you know, and um, so it's interesting how I think the patrol officer, once she actually, because of course, a lot of the um, the stuff that our communication was initially over the phone and at the school. And so when she actually came and visited us, there was a difference in how I felt like she treated us. So again, you know, yeah, the assumptions. You, yeah, because usually, you know, when when she has to go to these homes, this is not the first time usually the kids have been in trouble. So, you know, she's used to dealing with a certain demographic demographic of parents and kids. So when she came to our house, she was like, oh, this is definitely different than what I'm used to. And I think it's interesting, though, she said it out loud. But I guess yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe she couldn't stop herself. I don't know. Because, you know, it's like, oh, Are we knew. This is where you live. <laughs> you know. She thought she was yeah. going to roll up to who God knows what. <laughs> and so your son, did he join the military then? Yep. He did. He did. Oh, okay. Is he still in the military now? He is. Yes. Yep. Fort well, Bragg, North Carolina in the Army. Okay, I'm glad to know that they did, you know, keep their word and, and expunge it from his record because that, that I'm still baffled and amazed by that. Um, so just a couple more things. I don't want to keep you, but um, with all of the unrest and what's going on after the death of George Floyd, um, just how have you guys been feeling and what are you hoping to see maybe as real positive change to come from the protests and from this renewed look, you know, it's not, not like racism just woke up one day with George Floyd. I mean, this has been going on for years. So what are you hoping to see as real change and how have you felt about what's been going on with society? It just seems like the hatred and the racism seems to be so um, in your face these days. You know what it is, is that it's getting recorded now. You know, back in it, you, you just heard about it you know, even as long as, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but now you see it. And that's, and, I, and I'm and i glad that you see it, but that people see it now because just talking about it isn't enough. Some people just have to see what's going on in the world. And I think everything is going, you know, to in the right direction as far as things are changing finally. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think things are really going in the right direction. I, people that are protesting, hey, good for you. I mean, we need to. And I think that the people, you know, in the government, the people above the government, they hear them now. And Susan, how about you? You know, um, you know, just kind of pulling back, you know, my son into this, you know, especially with his generation. You know, I recall my daddy, um, who's, of course, white, telling my son what to do when he gets pulled over because my own father was worried about his grandson, you know, and the proper protocol. And um, and I'll be honest with you, like even um, early on when 
certain things would happen because we've always taught our kids accountability because we were raised up on accountability. And we always said, if you do bad things, bad things happen when you're not where, you know, you're supposed to be. Um, And, you know, for instance, like, you know, the folks who were robbing, you know, like maybe robbed a store, young kid. And, you know, with those protests, I couldn't stand behind it back then because I was just like, well, you know what? They robbed a store. What did you think was going to happen? You know, you're going to get shot. But it's, it's like now when you start seeing these videos and the story is right there, it's, it's not that story, you know? And unfortunately, unfortunately we have to see how, how awful it is, you know, how we have to protect, you know, our children. We have to make sure that they're, you know, conscientious, that they're aware and, um, and they do all that they can to try to come home. And that, you know, and that we prepared them, you know, on how to deal with these um, situations, because the situations that we're seeing and that are being recorded, there's no words for them. Because at the end of the day, they didn't do anything wrong. Or let's just say, they didn't do anything that should have um, caused them to lose their life over it. You know, like, should they have been probably taken to jail? And this is not, you know, George Floyd. This is the guy at Wendy's, you know? Yeah, I think he should have been able, to, you know, to walk away from that. Um, and yeah, he easily should have had to gone to jail because, he had, you know, he was under the influence. Should he have died over that? No. You know, so, I mean, it's like for those folks that think that this isn't real, Sometimes you have to see the harsh reality of it and it has to be in your face and it has to be as raw as that footage. Right. So. Cause I know, you know, when my son started driving uh, and I was in, you know, when he started driving, I was already with the fire department for a few years and I will put a sticker on his car. So the police, if he did happen to get pulled over, they would see the fire sticker to let the police know that, hey, somebody in this car is either a fireman or family is a fireman because they treat you different. And do you think that um, there will be any lasting change from what we're seeing now? Because I do agree with you. It may seem worse now just because, you know, I think it was Will Smith who said it. It's not that it's getting worse. It's that it's being recorded. Um, And so do you have hope that there will be some real lasting change from the protests and from the fact that everybody now almost has a camera phone and can really show, no, I I don't know what they told you happened, but look, this is what really uh, happened. Because, you know, we've been shooting video now for quite a while and still it seems like sometimes people aren't held to the standard that you think they should be held to for what they've done. Right. um, Even though you have it on film. So do you, do you have a hope or a sense that there'll be some lasting change um, after all of the protests are, have quieted down? I think so. Just as long as the people are held accountable for what they do. I mean, that's just the bottom line. If you if you mess up, listen, you're going to go to jail. And you're going to go to jail for a long time. Well, I think so too. And I think so, even from a corporate standpoint, um, you're seeing more corporations putting money into their diversity programs. Um, as far as let's take defunding the police. I think that's the wrong way to go because we actually have some very close friends who are um, policemen and women who have very prominent roles in those departments who are making changes and um, they're using this platform and they're using the fact that they are African-American to start making these changes. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want no defunded police department rolling up to my house you know, like these male um, people do in their own vehicles, you know, with the police patrol car sticker on them. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's not, that's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is, you know, we need to come together. We need to put more people in those positions um, who are, you know, who are there to really service our communities and um, not just, not just do a job. Right. And that means cleaning house. And a lot of these departments, I loved as we're, you know, especially in the South, 
where they're saying, you know, if you thought what happened to George Floyd was okay, then you need to walk out now. And that's what we need. We need more people. We need to hold um, the police departments and those chiefs accountable. I think in my, the way I look at it is you're doing performance reviews. Okay. And you're, you know who your bad officers are. And if you allow somebody like that to go out in the street, then your job should be on the line right with theirs. So I think that there's just so much accountability and that's what we're getting away from. And it starts from the top. And it does. So you got a clean house. We, and they're doing that. And we know that we're hearing it from some of our friends who are in the department. It's, it's so promising and corporations and even mine, they're putting money, you know, where their mouth is. And, um, and we have an office in Atlanta and, you know, they did it big there. They started out with a million dollars. So, I mean, um, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of, you know, seeing this. I mean, a friend of ours who works, she's actually one of the um, only African-American females um, who was actually just promoted in her company. And she gave them a statement, you know, about what it's like to have a son who is, you know, African-American and, you know, during these times. And they, you know, they listened to her. So, you know, I think that we're really using these platforms and, you know, everyone right now, I mean, I don't know if you notice, but even in the protests, sometimes you have more white people in these protests than you do African-Americans. So, and, you know, and it's also, you have a role, you know, as an African-American help white people know when and how and what to say, because they're struggling too. So I think that, you know, there, we have to come together. We have to help each other through this. And right now, this is the best time. Well, I want to thank both of you for your time. I really appreciate you for having this conversation with me on tonight. And if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about here on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. That's all the time we have for tonight. So until we have a a chance to meet again, be blessed.